0: Good morning, everyone. Okay, let me try it again. To my urban folk, what up, Belle? Hey. K Pasa. Hey. East Coast. Yurt! <laughs> yeah, you don't know nothing about that, huh? Glad to be here now, y'all. Y'all can't listen, you're a college student, so I know you can get you can get a little bit more excited. Don't don't have me coming out here in these sticks and you sitting up here looking at me like you have no energy, amen? I come from a tradition where there's call and response, you're supposed to talk back to me, all right? See, somebody got it. (laughs) I'm Alvin Sanders from World Impact. I serve as interim president. Quick explanation of what World Impact is. We equip urban leaders across the world who have a focus of ministering to people in poverty. We have a a slogan that we've adopted from um, Home Depot. Their old slogan was, you can do it, we can help. We're like the Home Depot for pastors and ministers in communities of poverty, 17 countries. We have staff in eight cities. We're in over 50 metros. Wichita is one of our hub cities, so some of you may have heard about them. Uh, I have two daughters around y'all's age. Gabby is 19, she's a senior in high school. Hannah's 21, she goes to the Ohio State University. That's right, O-H, Yes, right. Y'all might not know anything about that because you don't play football in Kansas, so anyways. Yeah, 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 whatever. I'm gonna start today by talking to you about a, a story that happened to me seven years ago. Seven years ago, something happened that I never ever expected. I turned 40. When I was your age, I never really expected to turn 40. It wasn't like I was morbid or anything like that, but I didn't sit around thinking, hmm, what am I going to do when I'm 40? I, I just didn't. Maybe some of y'all do, but hey, I was just trying to figure out what my next step was. When I was in my 20s, you know, the biggest thing on my mind was the, was the, was the females. I guess I'm by myself on that, all right? I I was just trying to figure out, you know, how do I how do I look good enough to attract somebody, you know, that potentially I might marry. None of y'all, none of y'all think like that? Oh, okay, okay. That was just me. right. So when I was in my 20s, that's what I used to do. And that was my biggest worry and concern. So I would really take big steps to try to make sure I look good. Right? You know, I used to have waves. You know what waves is? Google it, millennial. I used to have waves. Wear a do-rag, right? Every time I stepped out, I made sure that that my clothing was clean and sharp and pristine. I still ironed my jeans so there's a crease in it. I don't even know if there's you guys still do that. But here's the difference between when you're in your 20s and when you're forties. In, your in my forties, you know, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I got my wife of 23 years. Who cares what the other females think about me? Much more sort of carefree and understanding of what's important. And today, what I want to talk to you about is the most important thing in your life. How's your love life? Not that one. Don't get nervous. We're not going to talk about that one. We're going to talk about your Christian love life. Our focus is going to be 1 Corinthians 13. We are going to go through that chapter. But before we go through it, I want to read to you an obituary. It might be a strange thing a way to start the sermon, but I really want you to hear the obituary that is true. And you might not think that it's true after I get done reading it to you, but it really is. But let me read it to you. Dolores Aquilar, born in 1929 in New Mexico, left us on August 7, 2008. She will be met in the afterlife by her husband Raymond, her son Paul Jr., her daughters Ruby, Beatrice, Virginia, and Ramona, and son Billy. Dolores had no hobbies, made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed by many. Few tears will be shed and there will be no lamenting of her passing. Her family will remember Dolores and amongst ourselves we will remember her in our own way, which were mostly sad and troubling times throughout the years. We may have some fond memories of her and perhaps we will think of those times too. But I truly believe at the end of the day, all of us will really only miss what we never had, a good and kind mother, grandmother and great grandmother. I hope she is finally at peace with herself. As for the rest of us left behind, I hope this is the beginning of a time of healing and learning to be a family again. There will be no service, no prayers and no closure for the family. She spent a lifetime tearing apart. We cannot come together in the end to see to it that her grandchildren and great grandchildren can say their goodbyes. So I say here for all of us, goodbye, mom. That is one of the saddest things I've ever read. But it makes us or it should make us stop and think about our lives and the importance of our lives and the extreme importance of our lives if we name the name of Jesus Christ. You see, most of our lives we spend chasing success. But I suggest to you today that perhaps maybe what God has challenged all of us to do is to chase significance. Amen right there might have been, could have helped me out a little bit something to think about, especially at your age, because you're making decisions now that, believe it or not, are going to affect you 20 years from now. And so as you look at what you want to be as a successful person, you should also balance that with what is it that God's calling me to do with my life that's going to make it significant? Because I'm going to tell you, you all, as a church, I'm kind kind of burned out on Christian conferences? Because every time I go to a Christian conference, you know what the Christian conference is about? It's about the three Bs. How many butts can you put in the pews? All right? How big's your budget? And how beautiful can you make your building? I'm kind of burnt out on that because I've figured out that that's like not God's scorecard. God is not concerned about the three Bs. He really isn't. See, I'm a former inner-city pastor in the city of Cincinnati. Let me tell you about my first week of starting my church in inner-city Cincinnati. Okay, there was a young African-American man by the name of Timothy Thomas who was shot dead by a white police officer. And the neighborhood had a riot for a week. That was my first week, y'all. First week. I'm sure Sterling College is a beautiful place, but I don't know if they're going to teach you how to do a church plant in the middle of a race riot. What wasn't on the news because it was a big news story. It was everywhere. What wasn't on the news was that it was me and about 20 or so college student aged folk who the week before that had been prayer walking the streets and talking to people about how to start a new type of church. At least it was new to us. A church where everybody was welcome. Imagine that. Rich, poor, black, white, Latino, didn't matter. We wanted to build a community of people in which everybody was welcome. And then right after that, a race riot happens in the middle of that. Happy to report the church is still there. 17 years later, River of Life Church in Cincinnati, if you're ever there, come and visit. And God did a wonderful work. And I'm going to tell you how God did it. First Corinthians 13 reads as follows. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul here is talking about something that makes the Christian life the Christian life. He's taking a detour. In 1 Corinthians 12, he was talking about about gifts and tongues and things of that nature, and he continues that conversation on in, in 14, but he takes a detour and he takes a break because he wants to ground his teaching on spiritual gifts in the context of what the Christian life truly, really is. It's important that he does this because the Corinthian church suffered from something. It's called arrogance. As we used to say back in the day, they thought they were all that and a bag of chips. And it was because of the spiritual gifts that they were displaying. You know, have you ever met somebody who's really good at something and they know it? Don't raise your hand if that's you, but they know it. Really good singer and they know they're a good singer. Really good speaker, and they know they're a good speaker. Whatever it may be. But the Corinthian church, they were very arrogant in the spiritual gifts that they were displaying. So much so that they forgot about the main reason why they should be existing. Because Paul takes a shot at them. He's throwing shade at them. Do y'all understand that? He's throwing a little shade at them. In verse one, where he says, listen, you, you go around, and you're making a lot of noise with these percussion instruments. There was a Corinthian cult that used to walk around and bang percussion instruments, basically saying, look at us, look at us, look how important we are. And Paul said, Corinthian church, because of your arrogance, you are no important, more important than the religious cult that you claim to represent, or be better than, I should say, not represent, but to be better than. You're no better than them. You need to drop the arrogance act and take on some humility. Their arrogance was starting to hurt their church. They would backstab other church members, and they were caught in things like illicit sexuality. They were trying to do the right things by being the wrong people. It is possible to do the right things and be the wrong person. And God wants people who are the right people. Because if you are the right people, if you're righteous people, what to do will take care of itself because the power of the Holy Spirit will be indwelling in you and will be the thing that works through you to get God's things in this earth accomplished. That prayer we say all the time, God on earth as it is in heaven. That's literally calling heaven down to affect this earth, and he is using us to do it. What a humbling thing. What a humbling thing. What a humbling thing for me to know that God had a race riot plan for inner city Cincinnati, and he was going to use me to help heal it. Unbelievable. Amazing. More than just some sort of story, it's like, oh, my goodness, God used me to affect history. And I'm no special. I'm no one special. He's going to use you, too, if he's not using you already. Because let me tell you how this love thing works. I'm going to tell you an old preacher story. All right, there's five pastors in a town. There was one rich person in the town who used to give a lot of money to churches. These pastors would come over to this guy's house. He had this big lake in the back, man-made lake. Get on a boat, they go out to the middle of the lake. The rich man says, hey listen, I know why you all are here. You want me to fund your ministries? I'll tell you what, all you have to do for your ministry to be funded is to jump out of this boat and to swim the store. The pastors were like, that's it? Oh, they start taking off their shoes and their shirts, and they're getting ready to jump over. and He said, now, now, wait a minute. Before you jump in, I want you to know something. This is a man-made lake, and I stocked it with alligators. Okay? It's because I want to give to pastors who have courage. So now, if you still want to jump over the boat, and you want to swim to the shore, and you make it, I'll fund your ministry. Well, they started putting their shoes and shirts, and stuff back on. <laughs> they said, all right, it's all good. We're not going to do that. So, as they begin to fellowship some more, about a half hour later, all of a sudden they hear this splash. And they look around, and one of their colleagues is making a run for it. And so they go to the edge of the boat, and they're cheering him on go, 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 go. And he makes it. So they take the boat in, and they go next to him on the shore. And they look at him, and and, and he he, he says, give me a towel, give me a towel. They give him a towel, and they're drying him off, and they're slapping him on the back. And they say, hey, man, what possessed you to go for it? He says, who pushed me? Who pushed me? That's kind of how your Christian love life's going to go, y'all. You're going to get pushed to love things and to love people that you don't want anything to do with. It's the only mark, really, that distinguishes us from the world when it comes to our faith. And I'm not just saying platitudes here, because we live in a very divisive moment right now in the history of this country. And it's going to be up to the churches and the leaders of the church to be able to help people to understand what Christian love looks like. Because it's very important, because we have misunderstandings of of what love is. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, when I first got married 23 years ago, I'll tell you what I thought love was. I thought when I married my wife, Carolyn, she was gonna be a sex kitten who cooked and cleaned. That's what I thought. Then like six seconds into the marriage, I realized it wasn't gonna go that way. And I'll tell you what Carolyn thought about me. Carolyn thought that she'd been watching too many Disney movies, and she thought I was like this knight in shiny armor who's going to ride in on a stallion and pick her up and throw her on the back of the horse. We were going to gallop off into the sunset. And she found out I was broke. We had no stallion. I had no armor. We walking everywhere we go. All these misconceptions about what love is. And it's usually based on the fact that everybody thinks you're supposed to be in your feelings when you're in love. You have all these songs you play, and that's cool, I get it. There's, there's, some, there's some feeling that goes with love, but the ultimate decider of what Christian love is, is that it's a choice. You choose to love that individual. You choose to love that neighborhood. You choose to love that city. You choose to love that country. You choose to love the world, regardless of what you may or may not have in common with them. That's the ultimate message of 1 Corinthians 13, that we love others, not of our own selfish interests, but for the establishment of the kingdom of God. Paul's teaching here is that the whole point of you being filled with the Spirit and the corresponding spiritual gifts that God has so blessedly given you is for us to be a witness of the love of Jesus Christ. That's it. I don't want you to think that you've just randomly been put here at Sterling College. It was decided before the universe began. That should excite you. Before the universe began, you were put here. Now, you might have been pushed here, you might not have known who pushed you, but you're here now, so you might as well figure it out. What does God have for me here? He has for me to learn what it means to be a spirit-filled man and woman, so that we can go out and do things in the world that need to happen in order for God's kingdom to be built. The powerful thing about Christian love is that it does one thing, and I'll tell you what it does through this. Growing up, I have a pattern in my life, okay? And the pattern is this. Let's see if you can notice it, because you're smart Christian college students, okay? I have my mom. She's still alive. Thank God I love mom. Um, Married. Got a wife, right? I got two daughters, okay? I got an older sister and a younger sister. Y'all notice something about my life? lots and lots of estrogen. (laughs) You probably see the cloud right now, right? And so every now and then I needed somebody to come and break that all up. And that person was Cleveland Sanders, Jr. We used to call him Little Cleve. And so he would come to the house and I'd be in jail at some tea party with a Ken doll or something like that. And he'd pull me out of that estrogen cloud and we'd go out and we do manly stuff, throw the football around or whatever it may be. So he became my brother that I never had. A number of years ago, I had the worst call I ever got in my entire life, and that was this. My father called me and he said, hey, little Cleve, you know, the bone marrow transplant that he was getting, it went wrong it's not taking. He's going to die. So if you want to see him alive, you need to get down here now. He was in Nashville in the hospital. I was in Cincinnati. Was about a four and a half hour drive. Jumped in my car. Drove down there. I got to his hospital bed. We embraced each other for a long time. And on his deathbed, Little Cleves started talking trash to me about my Steelers because he's a Redskins fan. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? You' about to die. And before you get out of here, you got to make sure you take a testosterone shot at me and my team." But that was his role. That was his presence in my life. And he continued it on to the afterlife. That's the power of human presence, because you know what? Those of us who've lost someone in our lives and in our hearts, the biggest thing we miss is their presence. What Christian love does is that it actually brings the presence of God upon a situation that you may find yourself in? Some of you may have grew up like me. I, I, I you know, some people, you know, they, they they grew up in baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet, cows in the field. You know, I'm driving up here. There's cows in the field while I'm listening to my 80s LL Cool J. You know, it's kind of cultural dis- dissonance. But I grew up in a pretty traumatic situation. And I used to ask God, "Why, why, God, why am I in this traumatic situation? Why couldn't I have like one of them Cosby Show families? Y'all, don't even know what that is? I'm baiting myself. One of them calm families with a doctor and a lawyer and money and all that stuff. I didn't have that growing up. I had drama growing up. It's so God, why, why, why have you put me in all this? And God, why would you take me from that?" traumatic situation and throw me in a church planning situation that is more traumatic. Just trauma-filled all my life. And I've come to the conclusion, it's very simple. Alvin, and those of you sitting in these chairs, you're a grace-gifting to this world, a grace-gifting. And if you will trust me, and bring my presence upon the scene, you will change the trajectory of the situation. Some of y'all are just yawning at that. You're not, you, don't, you don't hear me. You don't understand what I'm saying if you're just sitting there, and man, when this dude's gonna shut up so I can get the clock. You don't understand what I'm saying! Some of you have been given the gift that you will turn your family around. Because you were born and because you display Christian love, your family will turn around. That crazy uncle will no longer be crazy. All of the things that people have followed before you, when history is written, when it comes to you, the whole, the whole genealogy of your family will change because you stuck with the Lord. Some of you will be sent in ministry situations that the community or the neighborhood or wherever, or the farming place that you're being sent to, wherever you're sent, it will not be a good place unless you stick with the Lord. I want you to understand the importance of your life. It's important to God. Get a bigger vision than just finding somebody to get married out of here. You got things to do and you won't be able to do it unless the presence of God sits on your life. It's serious business, it's serious business. Let me tell you somebody who's pushing 50, it's serious business, you matter to God. I said you matter to God in a way that you cannot even comprehend. That's the power, that's the essence of Christian love. That's what it is. That's what it's about. It's why you're here. My my mission statement is, my life mission statement is very simple. To chase hard after God, to love my family and to invest in those who invest in the poor. And that last part is the uniqueness, because when it comes to the American church, when it comes to the poor, we like to feed them, we like to tutor them, we like to talk about them, we like to blame them for their condition, we like to scold them, we like to study them, we like to raise money off of them, we like to live in their neighborhoods after they've been gentrified but I don't know how well the American church loves them. So my life matters. I've got to convince the American church that the poor exist and they're part of God's kingdom. And we've got to make disciples among them. And they count. And I get to play a small role in bringing that about. That's me, what about you? Go on your journey, figure it out. I hate to tell you, it's going to take you about 20 years to do that, though. I'm sorry. I can't. What you're doing now is warm-up laps for what you're really going to do. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not important. It's very important. If anybody's played sports, you need to warm up, or you'll pull a hamstring or something like that. So it's very important what you're doing right now. It's very important what God's got going in your life right now. But understand that you, not, you do not have to have the burden of trying to figure everything out right now. You just need to figure today out. Then figure tomorrow out. and you figure next week out. Then you figure the next month out. And then before you know it, it's like this giant jigsaw puzzle just starts to come together. And you're walking in God's will. You're in the center of it. And you're bringing God's presence amongst something that you thought you could never do. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being the savior of our lives. God, each and every person under the sound of my voice, you have created them uniquely and wonderfully and you have something for them. I pray that while they're here studying, you will focus them upon what it means for them to display Christian love in their lives in this season. I pray God that those within the sound of my voice who get it, they know it, they, they understand very clearly what I'm saying today, God. You are speaking to them. I pray, God, that you would not let this message leave them, that you would take them to quiet places and you would whisper to them next steps. I pray for those, Lord, who who, who don't know this message is for them, and five years from now, they'll remember it when their life experience surrounds them to the point of expectation. Thank you for this college. Thank you for the leadership. I pray a blessing upon this place. And God, I pray that you would be with us for the rest of this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.